We are glad that you're here with us for part four of our series, Christmas at the Movies. Uh, we've been looking at how the movies that are out there, many of them, when you take a close look at them, see that they point to the actual original Christmas story. So we've been watching that, we've been looking at that uh, for the last um, four weeks. Uh, on Christmas Eve, we'll round things up with Rudolph, so I hope you can make it there. If you've missed any weeks, again, it's already been said. Uh, just a reminder that uh, you can find uh, the other sermons online, or you can stop off at guest services and pick up a CD. So when we think about uh, It's a Wonderful Life, that's what's on tap for uh, this morning. There's a couple things uh, you may not realize that uh, It's a Wonderful Life was actually a flop at the box office. It did so poorly that it went on a shelf somewhere and it hadn't seen the light of day for decades. And then, due to a clerical error, they ended up uh, not renewing its copyright laws. So you may remember in the 70s and 80s, it would be on like four or five channels at the same time. It was on like every single day. And that was because TV stations could play it, use it, and not have to pay any royalties. And I can remember my brother trying to watch it every single day during the month of December. Uh, and I used to think he just had way too much time on his hands to be able to do that, but he would try to do that. But then they renew the copyright laws, and uh, today you see that it's not there every day uh, because they actually have to, to pay for it. Now, what makes uh, the movie very memorable for most of us is really the last uh, probably 30 minutes when we watch what the world would be like if George Bailey hadn't been born. And that kind of opens his eyes as he thinks about that. And uh, for our purposes, we're going to see how George Bailey really reflects uh, a life that points to Jesus Christ. We're going to see that that baby born in a manger who grows up to be a man and gives his life and then rises again, that that man, that fully God, fully man, we've talked about that over the last couple weeks, Jesus uh, is really reflected in George Bailey's life. So to get ourselves thinking about that, the Apostle Paul writes about who Jesus is and how he, in a sense, uh, not in a sense, but really steps down from being in heaven to being born in that manger. And uh, we're going to look at uh, Philippians 2, verse 3. 
If you want to power up your device to that, uh, you can use Uversion. Uh, the verse will be up on the screen. Also, there's a rack Bible around you if you want to follow along. That's page 819, 819. And if you don't happen to have a copy of God's Word, if you don't happen to have a Bible, please feel free to take that uh, rack Bible as a gift from Seneca Community Church. Also, uh, if you have a smartphone and you don't have it yet, I'd encourage you to get the free app version, and then you can have uh, the Bible wherever you go. So Paul describes really the spirit we see and experience in Jesus, and we actually see that uh, George Bailey's life points to that. So beginning in verse 3, we read, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And we watch as George Bailey from a young age always is putting others first, is always jumping in, uh, not worrying about the harm that it will cause him. Uh, We see this even at an early age at uh, 12 years old when they're sledding on near a pond in a river. Who's that? That's your problem, George Bailey. A boy? That's him when he was 12, back in 1919. Something happens here you'll have to remember later on. Let's go, Marty! Let's go, Marty! Let's go, Sammy! Oh, Sammy! And here comes the scare thing. My kid brother, Harry Bailey! his brother's life that day but he caught a bad cold which infected his left ear cost him his hearing in that ear it was weak over and over again we see george setting aside his own well-being to rescue others uh, to be involved he jumps in not regarding his own safety uh, and even to the point in this case that uh, he loses hearing in one of his ears uh, doesn't even think about that, just jumps right in and, and does that. And really, when we look at uh, Jesus, we see that he basically does the same thing amplified thousands and thousands of times. He jumps in without regard for himself to rescue us, to save us. Uh, Paul goes on to say this, who being in very nature God, did not consider, himself, consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Very key. George doesn't use what he has in life to his own advantage, and neither did Jesus. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. 
And Paul goes on to say, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and in earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. As we watch them play George's growing up years, as he gets older, we see him with his first job at the drugstore. And uh, we see him coming in to do his job. He's basically a runner, a delivery person, works the front counter. He comes in, and uh, his boss, Mr. Gowan, is besides himself. Uh, he notices a telegram that mentions that uh, Mr. Gowan has lost his son. And he is just, he's just, he's just besides himself in grief and mourning, but still trying to do his job. And he asked George to make this delivery. And as George is watching Mr. Gowan prepare the medicine, uh, he notices that he puts the wrong things in there. He actually puts poison in these little caplets. And then uh, George is sent off to deliver it. Uh, George doesn't know what to do. He kind of tries to seek out some other help. He ends up back at the drugstore. And just as he's entering the drugstore, Mr. McGowan gets the call that the uh, prescription has not been uh, delivered. And uh, in his grief, uh, and it's very hard to watch, we're not going to watch it, but it's very hard to watch, we watch Mr. Gowan start to, to um, basically beat George. And George eventually is able to explain uh, what happened in that he saw that uh, Mr. McGowan had put the wrong medicine in there and it, and it would have killed the person taking it. And he realizes that it, it, would have, it would have ruined his reputation, ruined his business, just been a disaster. And all of a sudden, Mr. Gowan realizes that. And what's interesting about that as you hear the story unfold is George never mentions that to anyone. He keeps that close to his chest. He never tells the story where he saved Mr. Gowan's life. He takes a beating for, in a sense, the sins of someone else. And we can see that as we know the whole story unfold, and we talked more about this last week, we see that Christ came to be born, yes, in that manger, but he gives his life and he sacrifices life, and he literally takes a beating for you and I to have a relationship with God, to you and I to be reconciled. He dies, and we, we, see, that, we see that unfolding. Also, we see that uh, after graduation from high school, uh, his father suddenly um, passes away, and we get into this power struggle in the community. There's um, Henry Potter, not to be confused with Harry Potter. Harry Potter's a good guy. Henry Potter isn't. And there's this, there's this power struggle going on where um, Henry wants to control the town. And the only thing he doesn't have is the building and loan little business. And he's always trying to pressure them out of business. So this is an opportunity for Mr. Potter to get control of the one thing that uh, is, 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 not is not controlled by him. And uh, we see that, again, George uh, stands up to this. Uh, he puts his dreams aside. Um, George is an adventurous guy. He's a courageous guy. He's got a lot going. Everyone likes him. He's a good man. And yet he 
puts himself aside. He holds his dreams, holds his plans aside, and we watch this unfold in a board meeting. All because a few starry-eyed dreamers like Peter Bailey stir them up and fill their head with a lot of impossible ideas. Now, I say... Just a minute, just, just a minute. Now, hold on, Mr. Potter. Just a minute. Now, you're right when you say my father was no businessman. I know that. Why he ever started this cheap penny ante building alone, I'll never know. But neither you nor anybody else can say anything against his character because his whole life was... Why, in the 25 years since he and Uncle Billy started this thing, he never once thought of himself. Isn't that right, Uncle Billy? He didn't save enough money to send Harry to school, let alone me. But he did help a few people get out of your slums, Mr. Potter. And what's wrong with that? Right. Here, you're all businessmen here. Don't it make them better citizens? Doesn't it make them better customers? You, you said that they... What'd you say just a minute ago? They, they had to wait and save their money before they even thought of a decent home? Wait? Wait for what? Until their children grow up and leave them? Until they're so old and broken down that they... Do you know how long it takes a working man to save $5,000? Just remember this, Mr. Potter, that this rabble you're talking about, they do most of the working and paying and living and dying in this community. Well, is it too much to have them work and pay and live and die in a couple of decent rooms and a bath? Anyway, my father didn't think so. People were human beings to him, but to you, a warped, frustrated old man, they're cattle. Well, in my book, he died a much richer man than you'll ever be. I'm not interested in your book. I'm talking about the building and loan. I know very well what you're talking about. You're talking about something you can't get your fingers on, and it's galling you. That's what you're talking about, I know. Well, I, I, I've said too much. I... You're the, you're the board here. You do what you want with this thing. There's just one thing more, though. This town needs this measly one-horse institution, if only to have some place where people can come without crawling to Potter. Come on. Sentimental hogwash. I want my motion Boy, oh boy, that was telling Jojo, boy, you shut his big mouth. You should have heard him. What happened? We heard a lot of yelling. Well, we're being voted out of business after 25 years. Oh. Easy come, easy go. Here it is, help wanted, female. You still want me to hang around, George? Yeah, I'll be right down. Huh? Hey, you miss your train. You're a week late for school already. Go on. What's going on? Oh, never mind. Don't worry about that. They're putting us out of business. So what? I can get another job. I'm only 55. 56. Go on, go on. Hey, look, you gave up your boat trip. Now you don't want to miss college too, do you? George, George. They voted Potter down. What? They want to keep it going. Hey, 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 hey. You did it, George. You did it. They got one condition. Huh? Only one condition. What's that? And that's the best part of it. They've appointed George here as executive secretary to take his father's place. Well, no, but Uncle Billy is... You can is... keep him on, that's all right. As secretary, you can hire anyone you like. Well, Dr. Cameron, let's get this thing straight. I'm leaving. I'm leaving right now. I'm going to school. This is my last chance. Uncle Billy here, he's your man. But George, they'll vote with Potter otherwise. George stays again. He puts aside his dreams for the well-being of those people that live in that town. He again represents to us the way spirit of the way Christ interacted when he was on the planet for 31 and a half years. Uh, Christmas ushers that possibility in, and he continues and continues to put his dreams aside for the well-being of everyone else. So George stays there and runs the building alone. Uh, finally, uh, discovers somebody who's been in the uh, background all the time, Mary, and they get married and they're ready to head off on their honeymoon. Uh, George has saved up $2,000, and that is equal in today's dollars to about uh, 35000 
so they're getting ready to have the honeymoon of their lifetime when all of a sudden there is a run on the bank and all of a sudden you find George and Mary at the counter having to share their $2,000 with all these customers to once again keep the building and loan open, not for the building and loan's sake, but the sake of the people in that town that uh, can survive because of it, that don't have to go crawling to an unreasonable and merciless potter. And so he becomes, again, a servant to them so that others, others can live. And, uh, you know, again, everything in his life points to that original Christmas story. Jesus coming into the world. He has that courage. He has that adventure. But he puts those things on side. Uh, in uh, Philippians 2, it talks about him emptying himself, uh, giving himself up. He does all that. Jesus does that for us in the original Christmas story as we see this coming to life in, in the 40s and in early 40s. Uh, he humbles himself. You know, the original Christmas story, again, is a story of humility. It's a story of Jesus' humility. It's a story of people saying yes to God, even when it's going to cost them something. We see that in Mary and Joseph's life, and we've talked about them. Mary being the mother of Jesus and the scandal that went along with that. Joseph being that surrogate father and all that went along with that. Uh, we see, again, humility. We see the fact that uh, God makes this great announcements through his angels to the shepherds hum in the humility of that, that the shepherds were not considered uh, the people to make those kinds of announcements to, yet here they are uh, hearing the announcements. All through his life, uh, Jesus gave up all that... Uh, he had at his fingertips so that he could serve us and be here for us. Well, the story of George Bailey, as many of you are familiar with it, continues on and life continues to unfold. Uh, now there's kids and now we're about eight years later and uh, there's this situation that happens. Uh, uh, the, the movie really takes a, a, a turn at this place. We see George at the building and loan. Uh, we see Uncle Billy with $8,000 that he needs to deposit in the bank. And again, $8,000 is uh, more like over $100,000 in today's dollars. And we see that uh, Billy uh, has lost this uh, money. And, and what's amazing is we see, and we'll see in this clip, we'll see that George doesn't blame Uncle Billy. George takes it. He says, we've misplaced the money. He, he doesn't single out anyone. Again, he, he's demonstrating what really Christ has done for us. Christ has taken our sin himself on and doesn't push that back in our faces. He's glad to do that. He counts the joy of doing that so that you and I can say yes to God, so you and I can have a relationship with God. So we watch as it just all comes to a head. George has lived this life of servanthood, and all of a sudden this $8,000 has gone missing. Uh, for those of us who know the story again, actually Potter has it. It was mistakenly handed to him in a newspaper, and he keeps it, which just even makes what you're going to watch now even more horrendous as uh, George begs for some mercy from Mr. Potter. Please help me, Mr. Potter. Help me, won't you please? 
Can't you see what it means to my family? I'll pay any sort of a bonus on the loan, any interest. If you still want the building and loan, I'm... George, could it possibly be there's a slight discrepancy in the books? No, sir, there's nothing wrong with the books. I've just misplaced $8,000. I can't find it anywhere. You misplaced $8,000? Yes, sir. Have you notified the police? No, sir, I, I didn't want the publicity. Harry's homecoming tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, you're going to believe that one. What have you been doing, George? Um, playing the market with the company's money? No, sir, no, sir, I haven't. Oh, is it a woman, then? Uh, you know, it's all over town that you've been giving money to Violet Bick. What? <laughs> Not that it makes any difference to me, but why do you come to me? Why don't you go to Sam Wainwright and ask him for the money? I can't get a hold of him. He's in Europe. Well, what about all your other friends? Well, they don't have that kind of money, Mr. Potter. You know that. You're the only one in town that can help me. <laughs> I've suddenly become quite important. <laughs> well, what kind of security would I have, George? You got any stocks? No, sir. Bonds? Real estate? Collateral of any kind? I have some life insurance. $15,000 policy. Yes. Uh, how much is your equity in it? $500. $500? And you asked me to lend you 8,000. Look at you. You used to be so cocky. You were going to go out and conquer the world. You once called me a warped, frustrated old man. What are you with a warped, frustrated young man? Miserable little clerk crawling in here on your hands and knees and begging for help. No securities, no stocks, no bonds, nothing but a miserable little $500 equity and a life insurance policy. <laughs> You're worth more dead than alive. Why don't you go to the riffraff you love so much and ask them to let you have 8000 You know why? Because they'd run you out of town on a rail. But I tell you what I'm going to do for you, George, since the uh, state examiner is still here. As a stockholder of the building and loan, I'm going to swear out a warrant for your arrest. Misappropriation of funds, manipulation, malfeasance. All right, George. Go ahead. Go ahead. You can't hide in a little town like this. There's times in all of our lives, whether we identify it as a wonderful time, or not. There are times where life has been better than we realized, has been a life where we've, in a sense, shared the joy of what it means to have a relationship with a God for those of us who've said yes to him. And no matter the bumps in the roads in life, it can go along and we can kind of keep moving in the right direction, keep moving forward. But every once in a while, there's a moment, and sometimes it isn't even the weight of the, the disaster, the weight of the problem, but there's this moment where all of a sudden, our wonderful life overtakes us. There's a moment when it's a wonderful life that you can be overtaken, and it's a natural part of life. All of us have been there. We've been cruising along, and life hasn't necessarily been a cakewalk but we're cruising along through life, and all of a sudden, there's this one moment. It could be a large moment, it could be a big moment, or it could just be a small moment, and it's the straw that breaks the camel's back. And we find that our wonderful life has been overtaken. And for our extensive purposes, we can find that it can be overtaken in at least three areas. 
first of all, can be overtaken with hurts from the past. Uh, you and I can have had things that have happened in our past, and uh, there are moments where there are seasons where uh, they don't seem to really affect us. I mean, we've been, we've been hurt, whatever's happened, maybe it's a relationship hurt, maybe it's a, a loyalty break, maybe it's something at a job, maybe it's something at a church, wherever it is, and, and we, we've had this hurt. And, and it's back there, but it hasn't overtaken us. And all of a sudden, some things unfold in our life, and it catches up with us. And it overtakes us, and, and all of a sudden, now this hurt is like it just happened. Or maybe it did just happen, and, and it just overtakes us. And it just bears down on us. For George, he's been giving and giving and giving and giving, and he's never really asked for anything back. He's kept his mouth shut when things have happened that have adversely affected him. Uh, and uh, he doesn't look for, for sympathy. He doesn't look for justification. He doesn't look for, it's just, it's these hurts. And all of a sudden, everything comes together. And it's really like a, a perfect storm for George. And he's overtaken. In Lamentations, we read, I remember my afflictions and my wandering. The bitterness and the gall, I remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. There are moments and times where things from our past get triggered, and they weigh us down. And even though our life isn't a perfect life, it isn't a charmed life, it's still a wonderful life because it's life, and we find that we get overtaken with the past. You need to be aware that that can happen and will happen to us. Also, we can be overtaken with trouble in the present, in the right now. All of a sudden, we're in this moment, and it's, it's just now. It's not reflecting on the past. It's, it's in the moment now, and we have this wonderful life because we have life, Yet it's all caught up with us, and in this moment, the trouble in the present is just overtaking us. And for George, and we're going to see as he goes back and reflects what has happened in life and the parts of things he's been a part, the difference he's made in people's love, uh, life, the, the joy that he shared uh, gets all overtaken in this present situation. Uh, it's, again, the straw that breaks the camel's back. We could look at uh, Elijah, and we would see he has this great success, and he's been through some hard times, and all of a sudden, there's this moment, and it's actually a successful moment, but there's this one strong comment from this ruler, queen of another nation, uh, of northern kingdom, and she says, I'm going to get you, basically, and he crumbles in that present moment. None of us are immune from these times. They're on the horizon. We read in Job, you're the one in trouble, you're hurting, you've been hit hard, and you're reeling from the blow. It's just overwhelmed you. There's, there's things that overtake us in the present, even though life is pretty wonderful. It overtakes us, and it just captivates us then there's also the things that are on the horizon, the future things. We can be overtaken with anxiety about the future. 
You can't guarantee the future. And things are in play or could be in play, might be in play. What if this happens? What if that happens? And it just, it just captivates us. Doesn't mean we shouldn't be aware of those things, but it's the difference of being aware and going to the place where it just controls us, it captivates us. Even Jesus was in this place before he gave his life on the cross. We read in Mark, Jesus began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Jesus had been living a wonderful life. It had been a life that had been making a difference in multitudes of people in amazing ways. And then on this evening, he knows what's coming. And it just, it just weighs him down. Weighs him down. Some of us know the account where he says to the God the Father, he says, if there's any way this cup, if there's any way this job could pass from me, if there's, a, if there's a plan B, let's go with plan B. But not your will, or not my will, your will. But he's deeply overwhelmed. And you and I can find ourselves, we can find that stealing, sucking all the joy out of our life, even when life has been pretty good. In Psalms we read, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. The psalmist is saying, I'm so downcast, I'm so heavy, I, uh, but here we, we get a little bit of a flip. Uh, someday in the future, I'm going to praise you. There's going to be a switch. But in this moment, in the future, in the past, it is all weighing us down. We see this in George Bailey's life, that he is just in the darkest moment of his life. And he feels that he's totally by himself. His family can't be there for him. No one has the answers. It's so bad that he goes to Mr. Potter begging for help and gets nothing. He's literally at the end of his rope. His wonderful life has been overtaken. And you and I can find ourselves in that place. You and I may be in that place right now where we're feeling overtaken. Or someday in the future, we will be overtaken. George has planted that idea in his mind from Mr. Potter. And he decides that uh, the best thing is he is better off not alive. And so he's going to go to the bridge, and a lot of us, because of Seneca Falls, are familiar with the story and the bridge that supposedly started the whole process of this story. And he goes there because he's in his darkest moment. But we're going to see in his darkest moment, God can be there. God can come alongside us. We sing and we sing during Christmas especially, Emmanuel, 
God with us. That's what we celebrate about the little baby being born in that manger, that God will be with us in a way that he hadn't been with us as people before. And he offers that to us. But in that dark moment, in our broken moment, God can come alongside us. Clarence saves George by doing one thing that he knows will change George's plans. He jumps in and cries for help. Because that's the kind of guy George is. Clarence remembers what he had done for his brother. And that George would do this for anyone in their time of need. You see, he knew that that's the way George was that George would jump in to save someone else, even if it meant not saving himself. Clarence, the angel, tries to start to unpack this and starts to unpack the difference that George's life, life has made. But as they're trying to dry out their clothes, he starts to introduce George to all these concepts. How did you happen to fall in? I didn't fall in. I jumped in to save George. What? To save me? Well, I did, didn't I? You didn't go through with it, did you? Go through with what? Suicide. Oh, it's against the law to commit suicide around here. Yeah, it's against the law where I come from, too. Where do you come from? Heaven? I had to act quickly. That's why I jumped in. I knew if I were drowning, you'd try to save me. You see, you did. And that's how I saved you. Uh, uh, very funny. Your lip's bleeding, George. Yeah. I got a bust in the jaw in answer to a prayer a little bit ago. Oh, no, 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 George. I'm the answer to your prayer. That's why I was sent down here. How'd you know my name? Oh, I know all about you. I've watched you grow up from a little boy. What are you, a mind reader or something? <laughs> well, who are you then? Clarence Oddbody, AS2. Oddbody. AS2. What, what, what's that? AS2. Angel, second class. That bridge attendant isn't having anything to do with it. 
as Clarence walks through and comes alongside George, again, Clarence is George's answer to his prayer and the prayer of the town as everyone's worried about George. We see that really when life is not seeming to be too wonderful, when it's not a wonderful life, that you can overcome. And George starts to put these pieces together as the movie starts to unfold and wind down. First of all, one of the things that George wouldn't say it this way, but the way you and I who have decided to follow Christ and those of us who might be thinking about it can realize that when we come into relationship with God, we can realize that we can overcome. We can overcome with God's faithfulness of the past. Uh, we can look back and we can see how God has been faithful to us. We can see how God has used us, how God has protected us. I have uh, some friends that are uh, newer to faith in the last 10, 15 years, and uh, they can look back 25, 30 years, and they, we didn't tease this out of them. They just started to come to this conclusion that even when they did not have this relationship with God through Christ, when they were kind of on their own, uh, as they look back on those days, they can actually see where God stepped in and helped them where God was protecting them, where there were these moments where they could have gone one way and didn't go one way. A certain circumstance unfolds a certain way rather than another way. And they say, I can see God's faithfulness of the past. So when life is not great, when it's not wonderful, one of the tools, one of the uh, ways to think through and to see how life can be different, it has been different, how you and I can be used in other people's lives, how we can share the joy of the season is to remember God's faithfulness of the past. Jeremiah writes, I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss, yet I still dare to hope when I remember this, the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercy never ceases. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. And so if you and I are in a spot where we really are feeling like life is not wonderful, we can overcome as we look back, as we slow down, and we look at the faithfulness of God. It might be just shadows in our life but we know it was his shadow in our life. Also, we can overcome with God's presence in the present, in the today. We can realize that God is present in our lives. You've heard me say this a lot, especially think about this at Christmas time. Uh, when God seems to be silent, it doesn't mean he's still. And we have those circumstances where he's been on the move. We, we haven't been aware of it, but then we are aware of it. That God is present, and he can be, he's present in the now. We read this psalm that says, As I sunk, sink in despair, my spirit elbowing away, you know how I'm feeling, know the danger I'm in, the traps hidden in my path. Look right, look left, there's not a soul who cares what's happening. I feel isolated, I'm by myself. I'm up against it, with no exit, bereaved, left alone. And we've all been in that place 
but we know that God can be present or is present in those moments, even though we're not feeling his presence. He can be there, and that can help us overcome. It helps us change our outlook, change our heart. Also, we can realize that we can overcome with God's promises for the future or promise for the future. There's a verse uh, taken out of Jeremiah, and this was at a not a great time. Uh, these people that this is being said to, given to, are people that have been captured and brought to another nation. Their nation has been wiped out, and they've been taken to this other place. Things are not good for them. Things are not great for them. Things are hard. Yet Jeremiah says to them, God's words to their ears, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. You see, when we're in those places where life is not wonderful and it's overtaken us, we can actually overcome we can overcome because of God's work in the past, God's work in the present, God's work in the future. Now, in our day and age, uh, some of us can get to the place, and it's not something to be fooled around with, taken lightly. We can get to the place where George Bailey was at. All hope was gone. All hope was gone, and he was thinking he was better dead than alive. But we've got to realize that life is a precious gift, and we can overcome with that. Now, there aren't some magic words when we get to the depth of despair like that. We need to allow others to come alongside us. We need others with faith to come alongside us. We actually have a community that comes alongside us. I'd encourage you to look on the back of, not right the second, but on the back of your program, there's a little graphic that looks like this. That when you and I get into those despair moments and we're at the bottom, there is support. There's support in our community, in our county, and there's support with our faithful friends. But it's not one or the other. It's both together encourage you to someday take and cut that out of your program and maybe put it on the, your refrigerator just to have it. Maybe not for you, maybe for somebody that's going to come through your, your life, come through your kitchen, and they're just going to see that, and they're going to know that there is help immediately in our darkest, deepest, most hurtful place. But God, the message of Christmas, the joy of Christmas is that, that when you and I receive the joy of Christmas and we embrace it and we, we share it and we realize that we're making a difference, uh, we can overcome. Because each one of our lives does touch another life. We may not think it. We may not feel it. We may be so far in despair that, that uh, it, just, it, it just escapes or evaporates from our thoughts. But Clarence had to bring this out to George, that if his life had not been there, if he had not touched other people's lives, the world would be a different place. 
Now, the last man I talked to before all this stuff started happening to me was Martini. You know where he lives? Well, sure I know where he lives. He lives in Bailey Park. Bailey Park? No, I'm not sure of anything anymore. All I know is this should be Bailey Park. But where are the houses? We went here to build them. Your brother, Harry Bailey, broke through the ice and was drowned at the age of nine. That's a lie. Harry Bailey went to war. He got the Congressional Medal of Honor. He saved the lives of every man on that transport. Every man on that transport died. Harry wasn't there to save them because you weren't there to save Harry. You see, George, you really had a wonderful life. Don't you see what a mistake it would be to throw it away? Clarence. George has to come to terms that he really did have a wonderful life. And it was wonderful because he gave his life to others. He touched other people's lives. And as he has received the joy and then shares, shares it with others, as life unfolds, as this evening unfolds, his joy in a sense has doubled. It's rejuvenated because he did touch other people's lives. Joseph, Mary, the shepherds, all of those people in subtle ways, in the moment it seemed like they were doing absolutely nothing, that their lives really didn't count, but they did. So you and I, as we celebrate this Christmas season, as we think of the nativity and all that that means, and we think about life and we think about how tough life can be, and sometimes we're not feeling that life is so wonderful, or we are feeling life is wonderful and don't realize how quickly we can be overtaken and how quickly in being overtaken we can overcome we realize that the gift of this child was to give us life so that we could share that life with others. John writes, one of Jesus' closest friends in the book of John writes this, God loved the world so much he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him, trusts in him, leans in him, may not be lost. Anyone can have a whole and lasting life a whole life, a complete life, a, a satisfying life where they're touching other people's lives. It doesn't mean the road is going to be smooth, but it can be whole, and it can be lasting. It can last from here throughout eternity because we have this relationship with God. Sometimes when we think about these things, we think about uh, religion and judgment and all of this, and we have to remember that Jesus goes on, or John goes on to write, God didn't go to all the trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger, telling the world how bad it was. He came to help to put the world right. And as you and I receive that joy, as we receive that good news and our world is put more right and we share it with others, everything, everything can change. When George put all that together, that his life counted, that he touched people's lives, it changes everything in that evening.
a joy killer for you. <laughs> George realizes the gift of life. Those of us this Christmas season realize not only the gift of physical life, but the gift of spiritual life through Jesus Christ. And when you and I receive that and shares that, it creates a joy that takes us over and actually takes our community over. It's interesting, George Bailey running through the city saying Merry Christmas to everybody before he experiences the town reinvesting in him. His community, his friends reinvesting in him. It's interesting that we see that then and not after. We have the joy, he has that understanding first and then he receives. His, his community has been touched by him, and it's changed them. As you watch the movie unfold, you see if George had not been there, there would be a hardness in his community. But that hardness is not there. There's a tenderness. There's a love. Mary did it, George. Mary did it. She told some people you were in trouble with it. They scattered all over town collecting money. Didn't ask any questions. Just said, George in trouble. Tell me. What is this? Uh, like it spread like fair. Another run on the bank? Here you are, George. Merry Christmas. There we are. The lion's arms on the right. The From London. Oh. Mr. Gower cabled you need cash. Stop. My office instructed to advance you up to $25,000. Stop. Oh. Hee haw and Merry Christmas, Sam Wainwright. Oh.
when you and I receive as an individual the joy of Christmas, when we receive, when we come into relationship with that baby who grew up to be a man, fully God, fully man, and gave his life, when we receive that, we then have a joy to share. And what's amazing is when we receive it and share it, we, in a sense, receive more of a wonderful life. George had no idea how he had touched his world, but he had touched his world. Some of us will have no idea how we touch our world until the next chapter of life, but we are touching the world. We are. The words of that old hymn, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth, that's an individual peace, and mercy mild, God and sinner reconciled. We talked about reconciliation last week. Joyful all ye nations, all ye people, rise in celebration. Join the triumph of the skies, the angels, with the angelic host proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. So my challenge to you is once you've received that new life individually, share that life, and you'll find as you share your wonderful life, you'll receive a wonderful life. And George could only find that out when he hit rock bottom and started overcoming, and he discovered the life he had shared. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the love that you offer us through your Son. All of us here are at different places in life. Some of us have not just said yes to you yet. We're still thinking about it, and I pray over this season, even in this moment now, that someone here might be saying, yes, God, I want you part of my life. I accept your forgiveness. I believe you gave your life for me and rose again and now live in heaven, and I want you a part of my life. I want to be reconciled to God. I want to walk each day with Emmanuel, God with us. May they do that this morning. And then for the rest of us who have, who have said yes to you sometime recently or in the past, we would just ask that you would help us when we're enjoying our wonderful life not to be overcome by those things we talked about, but we find ourselves weighed down and life's not so wonderful. May we find ourselves overcoming as we reflect on the past way you've worked, as we reflect on the way you're working in our present, and as we think of the future promise that life holds for us because of this little baby born in a manger. We ask all of this in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. At this time in our service is when we...